Everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Stones of Fire by Isabel Kuhn with permission of OMF International, and we are continuing on Chapter 7. Then there was great talking in Lucing Ma's house, Mary, to go to the big Chinese city. No other girl in Olives had been there, but the men who carried Ma Pa's flour and sugar in had brought many tales of its wonders, of its shops, and the glitter of things in the big markets. Lucing had been, and Timothy, without consulting anyone, had asked oldest brother if he might go and carry Sister Four's loads, and he'd been accepted. Usually quiet and submissive in the house, this time Timothy asserted himself. He'd never been to the big city, and now he was going, no matter what. Well, that was a comfort to Mary, for Timothy was just like a brother. Mama said she would pay for Mary's food and expenses, and so it was settled. Hope burned high, and Mary began to eat better and put on a little weight, and everyone was interested in praying for her. Mama was coming out later, for she had contracted an eye disease in treating the villagers, and her eyes had never been quite the same since. Laird's strong stand against the silent communists in the Mekong seemed to have been effective. The countryside was peaceful. Now was the time to go out for medical attention. Mama, having lent her meal to oldest brother, would wait until it came back. Then she and Danny would also come to fish on. So, in high spirits, the caravan started out. Though it was a pull to leave little Paul, Mary did weep at parting as much as she had feared she might. The carriers, boys from Olive, helped to make the trip enjoyable, even though it rained for several days. Having small children in the party, they could not make very long stages, and the walking through the new countrysides with the merry Olive boys was interesting. Being harvest time, they saw many Chinese and Nosu tribespeople cutting grain and sleeping in the fields in improvised shelters. Then, what was Mary's amazement on leaving the Murmur Road, to see the familiar life on the perpendicular fall away into the flat plain country, life on the horizontal. Abba! Abba! She and the other Lisu girls would cry at the sight of miles of level land, the beautiful mountain-skirted Pashan Plain. Even before they reached the plain, while walking on the Burma Road, they heard a queer sound. Honk, honk, and a house on wheels came whizzing by. This was their, their first view of a truck. Motaka, they heard, was its name. Oh, what it would be like to ride one. Eagerly, the Lesu carriers asked, How much would it cost to ride? Would they let Lesu ride? Not one of them, but would have given some of their precious wages for a chance to get on that house with wheels. However, when they reached the edge of the plain, they saw another kind of vehicle, a horse cart. This they hired for Sister Four, Mary, and the children, so that they might ride into the city. Oh, what fun! But rather alarming, too, for it jolted over the rough road, squeaking and whining, so that Mary held on tight, lest it collapse. And the thousands of people... This little maid from the mountains had never seen more than a few hundred together. The six hundred at Christmas festival would be reckoned few among the teeming hundreds of this plain. She remembered Lucing's description of the many people in Chinaland, and then came a tug at her heart as she wondered how long she would have to wait before she saw her dear, quiet shanty home again. Where were the carriers, those familiar olive faces? She tried to look back but could not discern them. Arriving at the city, she was impressed with those monstrous gates and the feudal city wall. She saw soldiers guarding them. Now they must descend and walk over the cobblestone streets lined on either side with those shops Lucing spoke of, full of beautiful, glistening things. And the little mountain maid was dazzled into silence. Suddenly, a soldier came from a tiny square hut, pointed his gun at them, and demanded, What people? 
terrified, Mary and the nearest Lesu girl shrank together, but the oldest brother, not the least afraid, calmly answered in Chinese, Americans, and walked past. Entering a tiny, narrow alley, they knocked at a door in a high wall. As she passed through it, Mary found herself in the most beautiful garden she had ever seen, with a Chinese house, something like the Laird's, only smaller in the background. The missionary who landscaped and planted herself came running out to greet them. As the white people shook hands, an old, kindly Chinese man beckoned to the Lesu and led their way to their quarters. Mary and the girls were in the upper room above the kitchen. Before dark, noises below proclaimed the arrival of the other carriers, and one said in a dear, familiar Lesu, Where are we going to sleep? Mary looked out to see the boys from the olives putting their loads down, their long track over, and the joy of spending their wages looming up close. Mary, soon in their midst, greeted them as if she had not seen them for a year, and everyone talked of the wonders of Chinaland and what they meant to buy. She intended buying some good cloth for a suit for Lucing, a bright cap for Mary, and a mirror for herself. So they talked around their open wood fire, as happy as a group as you would find. The next day, Sister Four said that Mary was to go with her to the clinic. A foreign doctor examined Mary's nose and announced that it was a polypus. But as he did not have the proper instrument, he could not remove it. First, Mary must be built up physically. She must wait also until Mama and Danny came out to Pashan, where they would discuss the next step. After a blood test, she was given a tonic, and older brother saw to it that she had good food, expensive though it was. The clinic was like a labyrinth to Mary, with its halls and courtyards and white-robed nurses and smell of medicines. She was glad to get out into more open space where she could see the sky. But her purchases must be made today, for the olive boys were leaving shortly, as they could not afford to stay too long in the expensive city, and she must have her things ready for them to carry back. Timothy and Solomon went with her down to the crowded marketplaces. The cloth was plentiful, but oh, the price. As each doll calmly stated the cost, Mary's face fell. I could get it cheaper at home from the merchants who come from Burma, she consulted with Timothy. Yes, you could. Lucing would understand, comforted Timothy. So she bought the cap for Paul and the mirror and some other things, and by that time was strangely weary. For there was so much to look at, it was bewildering and then the constant hum of the unknown tongue, Chinese. She was glad to get back to her loft over the kitchen and lie down. The next day came the separation. Such a hustle and bustle of the tribes boy getting their loads tied up to start the homeward trek. That large iron pot, so useful in the little mountain shanty, was such an unhandy shape to get into the back basket. That earthenware jar, just a thing for pickles, and not obtainable in the mountains, Would not the wife rejoice to see it, and it only cost 40 cents. But how to pack it so that it would not break? And then these shoes, red stockings for the children. They must not get near the sooty cooking pot or their beauty would be ruined, and so on. To an unacquainted onlooker, they were torn, disheveled, ragged, noisy lot. But to Mama, who had lived among them and shared their joys and sorrows, and seen their poverty and their brave courage, it was easy to be patient and hard to say goodbye. Sister Four's eyes filled with tears when bidding goodbye to them, whose shoulders were still sore from carrying her and her loads. Wah, wah, I wish I was going back with you, she said. And little Mary standing near had a sudden desolation sweep over her. They were going, her friends from Olives, and she was to stay behind. In a week's time, they would be at Olives, coming in around the long curve and up the trail beside Mark's house. And they would see her little Paul. Oh, she must go back with them, too. But no, 
orders were otherwise. We are keeping Solomon behind to help us with the children. So you will have one Lacey you know nearby to talk to, said the oldest brother kindly. Everyone was kind. But Oda returned to the loft over the kitchen and find no Lacey girls there now, and to look down the ladder and see only Solomon mending the fire. Oh, it was a terrible feeling. During the day, the Chinese Christian boy, who, when off-duty, cooked for La Ma Pa, came down and sat beside Solomon. I want you to teach me Le Su, he said. I like the Le Su of whom Eva Teng has told me. I study the Bible every evening with Le Ma Pa. And when they have to go on furlough, my wife and I will not be working here. And I wish to come to Le Su Lin and be Chinese home missionaries to the Le Su. Thank you to death, answered Solomon. Pleased and flattered that a Chinese would want to learn anything from him. I'll be glad to teach you, Lei Su. And there followed lots of laughter and a short lesson in come and eat and such phrases. Everyone was as kind as could be, but Mary's heart became more and more homesick. Each day, in thought, she traveled with those returning carriers. At the end of the week, the day they were to arrive in Olives, it seemed as if she had been in Chinaland a year. How could she endure it? It would still be a few days before Mama and Danny would be ready to start, no doubt. And then there would be another week before they would even arrive at Pashan. And after that, maybe they would take her still further away to a hospital. And she would have died of this ghastly homesickness by that time. I want to go home, she confided in Solomon. They say they cannot take the polypus here. What is the use of my waiting? There is the buckwheat to be gathered in at home and the winter spinning, and I just sit around here every day and do nothing. Tell oldest brother that you and I are going home. Made only of desert dusk, the little stone of fire had lost her shine. Her whole soul seemed to have been engulfed in a panic of homesickness. Oh, she may not go home now, the oldest brother told Solomon. Mama is just about to start. She will be here in just a few days, and then Mary can consult with her and perhaps get to a hospital. Back went Solomon with the white man's message, but Mary's mouth said grimly, I have no assurance that Mama will take me to the hospital in Tali. Tell him I want to go home, and maybe I can come out again next spring. Perhaps Lesu will bring me. I'm wasting time here, and I want to go. Rather shamefacedly, Solomon went back to talk again with the oldest brother. Why, Solomon, Mama has already started out. It's just a matter of a few days now. Exhort her to be patient. Isn't she having good things to eat? She's getting stronger with this tonic and the meat every day. She's not wasting time. Besides, it would not be proper for you and her to travel a week's journey alone together. She must stay. If she is bound to go, then let her wait until Mama comes and she can return with Mama's carriers. To live within the present tense and show a heavenly glimpse of blue to all with whom I have to do. Yes, that is what a stone of fire should do. But within an unknown land, alone with no familiar thing, may bring familiar comforting. What are you going to do then? Principal had gone overboard, only passion and a great strong upsurging desire to get home and get little Paul into her arms once more had taken possession of her. What if she were gone so long that little Paul refused to come to her as he had to his father. What if he only loved his grandmother now? Mary's mouth set. Solomon, I've got to go. Please don't desert me. I can't live another day down here. I'm going tomorrow. Tell him so. I'm sorry to offend him. He's been so good to me, but he does not understand how I feel inside. I don't understand it myself. I can't explain. I just know I've got to go. 
And loyal Solomon, ashamed yet obedient, went back to the oldest brother and gave her ultimatum. Oldest brother and sister four could hardly believe their ears. I never met anyone so obstinate in all my life. Oldest brother later told Mama, and when they finally, Solomon and Mary, packed to go the next morning, oldest brother was so annoyed that he refused to shake hands. He thought perhaps that might change them, for the missionary's displeasure is a very terrible stigma in Lacerland. But it didn't. And the pair of them, Solomon carrying her bundle and his, started off on foot for the long trek home. Eldest brother and sister four were really alarmed. She was Lu Xing's wife, and it was not proper. The only thing they could do now was to pray. So down on their knees they got and asked God somehow to stop that couple, somehow to save Mary from the disgrace that she was too blind to discern. And God, in his pity, answered as only God could. Mama and Danny had a lovely trip out. The weather was perfect and gloriously invigorating as only autumn in the mountains can be. The joy of harvest, the stacks of ripened grain being hauled into the homes of the people, the sense of plenty which comes with that season of the year, the deep blue skies, the golden fields, the crisp air, how good it was to be alive. The morning they struck the motor road, they made good time. Their hearts were merry, for Mama had promised that if they met an empty truck going to Pashan, she would pay half their fare if they would pay the other half, and that brought in the possibility for each of them. About half past ten in the morning, as they were rounding a sharp curve with the mountains striking straight up from their right and falling precipitously away from their left, one of them stopped and said, Shh, I hear a hello, and it sounded like Mary's voice. Immediately, everybody stopped and turned towards the mountain bank at their right. Oh, yes, someone was calling them. Everyone started to search the wild mountainsides with their eyes, and there, right near the top, they discerned a tiny thread of trail, and on it two human figures no bigger in size than a pinhead. But again came the voice, this time calling a name. Mark! It's Mary and Solomon! Mark exclaimed excitedly, They must be going home. The trail for olives leaves the motor road just 15 minutes' walk from here. Hi, he called back. Come down and talk to us. Mama's here. What are you doing? It's too far to go back, came Mary's voice again, but they had seen her stop and talk with Solomon. Unless Mama promised to take me to Tolly Hospital. Well, the conversation back and forth and down 500 feet of mountain is not very satisfactory. I can't promise to take her there, said Mama. Didn't she go with Sister Four? Didn't Sister Four go to the hospital? I do not know what happened in Pashan after the Carries returned. Try to get Mary down here. I know, said Samson. Tell them to come back to the noon eating place. It's just down the trail from them, only 15 minutes' walk for us. So Mark shouted the suggestion back. The group on the road saw the two pinpoints on the high trail again in consultation. Then came Solomon's voice. Mary's coming. I'll wait here. We've already eaten lunch. Then the two pinpoints separated, one running back over the slender trail and soon lost from sight by bushes and the other sitting down to wait patiently. A few more curves and Mama's group arrived at the noon stopping place, one lone hut by the side of the Burma Road, but a clear stream nearby provided food, and plenty of dead sticks on the wild mountainside supplied fuel. Soon little fires were gleaming here and there, and the clink of the copper cooking kettles and the swirl of rice being cooked filled the air pleasantly. Soon there was a cooey from the trees above, and Mary dropped down into the steep trail and ran up to shake hands. Mama thought she had never seen Mary look so beautiful. She was much plumper than when she left home. Her cheeks were pink with healthy exercise, and her face was wreathed in a happy smile at meeting fellow villagers once more. 
Her lovely teeth gleamed like pearls as she ran up joyously to this and to that brother to shake hands, until she came to little Danny, who was Paul's playmate at home. Then the long, pent-up homesickness felt a vent, and the tears fell. I'm so homesick for Paul, she explained, wiping the wet off her face, and the sight of Danny brought it back. While the rice cooked, Mary sat down by the fire at the side of the road and told her story. The doctor had not thought that Sister Ford needed to go to the hospital, at least for a few months, and he could not operate on the polypus because he had no instrument in the clinic. Then he, she told, quite frankly, of her unbearable homesickness and how she and Solomon had started out. Already the change from the confines of the city to the wild, free life of the mountains had done her a lot of good. She was much more open to reason. Mary, said Mama to her, drawing her aside so they could talk privately, you know you left a note behind for me when you left with Sister Four, and it contained most interesting news, told nobody as you asked, but stop and think a moment. You said the baby is due next March. How do you think of coming out again another time for a polypus operation? Once your baby is in your arms, you are to be a prisoner at home. You cannot travel. To me, it seems as if it is now or never for your operation. Mary flushed, but did not wait long to answer. All right, Mama, she said. I'll go back with you if you want me to. But Solomon says he can't be bothered walking that road again. There's a village up over the trail, and he says he'll wait there until your carriers return. Then join him, and they will all go back together. So God answered prayer. Mary was a different girl. To walk with the dearly beloved brethren of the Olives and get all the village news, to hear that Paul had not forgotten her, that he longed for her, was delighted with his new cap and would wear no other. To hear that Lucing had gone to Burma, driving a refractory old bull's market, hoping to sell him for a good price and bring back a more manageable one and also medicines and things for the family. It was all as water to a thirsty soul, and she did not notice the miles of roads that they were walking. As it began to grow late, Mama announced a stop. Tomorrow is Sunday and we will just spend it here, so watch for a good place to camp. The carriers looked at one another. Nobody wanted to stop a day so close to the great city, yet not in it. It's not far to Peshaw now, one suggested gently. We could get up early and be in for the noon service. Yes, but there's no need to do that, Mama argued. There's a village over the hill where they understand a bit of Lesu. I have slept there before, years ago. We can witness to them tomorrow, and everyone passes them by, anxious like you to get into the city. No, we stay here tomorrow. But God took it out of Mama's hands. A truck came whirling down the road. Now a truck would take them into the city in just two hours, and Mama's promise of help with the expensive riding still could be claimed. Some of the lace who held out their hands hopefully, but the truck swung by as if without eyes. However, when it got to the bottom of the hill, it unexpectedly pulled up and stopped and the two men got out. Immediately, the lacy pelted down the slope, hoping that at the last moment they could get the desires of their hearts and a truck ride into the city on Saturday night to boot. Mama saw them talking with the two men, then the whole crowd turned and pelted back as hard as they could run. The driver says he will take Mama and Danny and one other. He has not room for more. Oh, Mama, you know I've never been on a truck, came from several panting throats at the once. Mama was taken back. She had seen that the truck could not accommodate all of them and mentally had decided to let these anxious youngsters have their longings satisfied, sent them on ahead, and she herself came along on Monday. No, they said, the driver is a Christian, he says, and he knows Le Mama, and he will take only you and Danny and one other, as we told you. Whom to take? 
Never was Mama in a harder place than when she faced those 11 pairs of longing eyes. It must be someone who knows Le Mama's house, she answered slowly. Then her eyes fell on Le Sue Maiden. I'll take Mary, and the decision was made. Somehow Mary had never expected it. Always in Le Sulin, men come first, and it was a habit of her life to expect to be only after them. You should have seen the way her face lit up as the truth dawned on her until she fairly radiated excitement and joy. Mom and Danny were ushered into a seat in the cab, and a kind gentleman giving up his own for it. He was having to stand on the foot guard in consequence. Mary was told to climb up behind, but being a mountaineer, that presented no difficulties. So soon, with shining eyes and a wave of a hand at her comrades, who were left so quickly by the side of the road, the truck was off. Never in her life had she been swung so swiftly through space as she was now. What had taken her and Solomon many hours to transverse was covered before dark. The truck stopped some distance short of the city, but the kind Chinese Christian procured a horse cart to take them and paid the whole price of it himself. He was a refugee himself from Peking during the Japanese war, he told Mama, and he was now trying to earn money to finish his education. He had been a Christian only a year or so. He had to get off at his school to give, and he gave some instructions to the horse cart driver how to care for the party before he, he himself descended. Now it was late at night, for the cart did not travel at the speed of the truck, but eventually Mary stirred Mama and Danny through the dark streets, nudged Mama when the sentry challenged them and told them what to answer, and got them all safely into Le Mapa's compound. What excitement when the household learned who had arrived. Wherever did you meet Mary, asked Sister Four, wrapping her housecoat snugly around her as she came downstairs. It's an answer to prayer. How did it happen? It was a miracle, replied Mama simply. There was only one point where you could see the Burma Road after the trail leaves it, and at that place the road was only a few yards in length. We were walking those roads when Mary and Solomon were crossing over the mountain. They looked down, and Mary, recognizing Danny and his carries, called to us. But unknown to them, another miracle had been silently wrought on their behalf that night. The next day, a runner entered the city with bad news. A communist column had been marching down the Mekong Valley as Mama and her group came down the parallel Salween Valley, and the Reds had taken and burned the bridge on the Mekong and were making for Pashan. The city was fortified immediately. Then came word that the Salween Bridge was destroyed, and by Monday morning, the way to the hostel had been cut off. Mama's carriers had not stayed at their place all Sunday, and made an early start and were in Pashan by the time for Sunday service. If they had not done that, and if Mama had not been brought on that truck on Saturday night, they would have probably fallen into the hands of this regiment now making for Pashan. On Monday morning, the direction the Reds were taking was not yet known, but that Mary could not now get to any hospital was obvious. The road was cut on each side, and no one knew when such big bridges could be recaptured and mended. Oldest brother and sister four and Mama had a consultation about Mary. Mary herself had made a decision. She wanted to go back with the carriers from Olives. It looks as if that is best under the circumstances, Mary, said Mother reluctantly. But I want you to know that we have done what we could. We are wiring Ma Pa, who had gone to Kuming City to see the reprinting of the Lesu Catechism and other such books, and who was due to return now, to bring with him a nasal polyp of snare, and Dr. Toop said he would operate on you in your own home at Olives if he had that snare. They are hoping to come in and pay us a visit sometime, so we will pray that it will work out that way. Mary was happy about this, and the group shook hands. Don't you think you should take the middle Salween route home? asked Mama. Maybe, answered Juna, but there is Solomon, who is waiting for us. Without heavy loads, we will walk fast.
And with that, the little group started off. We're going to stop here and we'll find out later what happened. I love you. I'm praying for you. And bye-bye for now.